It was a pretty windy week this week, this past week here in uh, Georgia. Wind is a pretty amazing thing. And of course, I think fresh on all of our minds right now are the images that we saw this past week from Sandy. Superstorm Sandy is what they're calling it. And so I'll just bring up a few pictures here of the power of the wind. Now, at Sandy, the, the ocean also did a lot of damage as the storm surge brought in waters that took houses off their foundations. But at first, it was a wind event. And so you've probably seen some of these pictures, like the crane in New York that was snapped in half. Um, big old trees like this one here. Look at all those roots. And obviously, an older tree with all the vines going up at there that just was toppled over by the wind. And this one I thought was kind of funny looking, but someone's trampoline gets caught up in the in the in the wires there and this was the powerful scenes we saw this past week from sandy it's just the power of the wind and i personally remember as a child there was um a storm that uh came along when i was i think about six years old we were at my cousin's birthday party in cave city kentucky and a bad bad storm came up and we decided to wait out the storm there at my cousin's uh, house and when the storm passed, we decided to head on home. And as we're driving home, we began to get some clues that this wasn't just a normal thunderstorm. We began to see uh, tree limbs in the road. But more than that, like roof shingles in the road. And then some siding in the road. And we knew that a significant storm, perhaps even a tornado, had come through the area we lived. And as we turned onto our road, which was this little old country road called Tick Ridge Road in Glasgow, Kentucky. We turned down Tick Ridge Road to head home, the evidence got even more clear as we passed the trailer that had been smashed. We saw this, one of our neighbors, their trailer was just completely smashed like a pancake and debris everywhere. And we're driving home and we're beginning to think at this point, has it hit our home? And my mom was the first to see it because the way we would drive down that little old country road, there were some trees over here. So from my dad's vantage point, he couldn't see the house for it, but she could always see the house before he could as we were coming home. And I remember her as clear as day saying, Larry, it hit the house. And I remember my dad saying, oh, Becky, settle down. And we come around the corner, and sure enough, you know, the reason she knew it hit the house because the corner of the house that she normally saw when we came around those streets wasn't there this time. Most of the roof of our house was gone. Matter of fact, now my mom's car had a roof on it. And our house had been demolished by these by these heavy winds of a tornado that came through Kentucky at that time. Now, me, being the little materialist that I was, said, My toys! The moment I saw the house. Um, but I remember as clear as day that this, this, the power that that storm had and seeing firsthand just our house, our, the roof of our house and pieces, my mom's car and everything, just strewn all over the place. My, my swing set from my backyard was now twisted like a pretzel and was three houses down in a neighbor's yard. And so it was just the amazing raw power of wind. This passage of Scripture we're going to look at today in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, has an amazing verse in it. It's verse 8 that compares the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit to the wind. So I want us to turn to John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. We're continuing with our series called Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ. We've been in this particular passage a few weeks now, a couple of weeks, and we'll be in it at least one more week. So please stand, if you would, as we read John chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 15. John chapter 3, 1 
through 15. This is the Word of God. So it has as much authority as if Jesus were standing right here at this pulpit speaking. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, now we ask that you would move with your Holy Spirit like the wind. And make your word be effective. Bring results, bring fruit from your word today. Bless the reading of your word. I ask that you bless the preaching of your word now. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Now, two weeks ago, we were in John chapter 2, the last part of John chapter 2, verses um, 23 through 25 where there were these people coming who believed in the name of Jesus, but their faith wasn't genuine. It wasn't real faith. It was sign-dependent faith. And I mentioned at that time that John continues with the story and that really we shouldn't see that chapter division there, that, that, that three, chap, three number one there, because it kind of makes it difficult to see how those texts flow together. Really, Nicodemus is an example of John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Nicodemus is this man who comes to Jesus and he believes something about Jesus, but he doesn't possess the type of faith necessary to be saved or to enter the kingdom of heaven. So we're kind of left with this question. We left a couple of weeks ago with this question sort of hanging. Well, what kind of faith can enter the kingdom of heaven? What kind of faith is sufficient for one to be saved? And Jesus gives the answer. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And as we mentioned last week, this sort of rocked poor old Nicodemus' world. And so we began last week to look at the new birth. What is this new birth that Jesus is calling for here? What is this regeneration? It's the doctrine of regeneration. And I gave you guys this definition last week. Regeneration, or being born again, is a secret act of God whereby the sinner is given a new heart being brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. Let me say it again. Regeneration, or being born again, is a secret act of God whereby the sinner is given a new heart, 
being brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. And as I mentioned last week, it is entirely a work of God. And you are not a true Christian if you've not been born again. And if you have been born again, you are indeed a Christian who has exercised saving faith in Jesus Christ. I posed some questions last week I wanted to answer. We'll answer some more of them today. But the first question I asked was, why do we need the new birth? We spent most of last week just looking at that. Why do we need to be born again? Uh, Some other questions, though, is where does this new birth come from? That's what we're going to look at today. And and how do we receive the new birth? We're going to look at that today some as well. And what's the outcome of this new birth? We only had time really to dig into the first um, statement last week. And I, I gave us two points. And I want to point out, I want to correct one of the points I gave you, but I'll do that in a second. But here's my first point last week, the top part of that paragraph there. All men, this is why we need the new birth, all men are in desperate need of new birth because all men are depraved sinners. All men, every single man and woman who's ever walked this earth is in desperate need of new birth because all men are depraved sinners. And then I continued... Because Jesus made it very clear as he talks to Nicodemus that he had to be born again if he's going to experience the kingdom of God because all men are falling short of the glory of God and therefore this man needs a gift. He needs a gift of God. He needs eternal life. Now I touched on the second point last week, but I didn't dig into it. We will do more more today. But I want to make a correction. Your point last week, I believe, says it's it's still in your bulletin because I printed the bulletins before I really uh, prayed some more about how I had worded things. And I want to make a correction of how I worded things. And if you were in my, first, in my class today, we talked about how pastors need to be held accountable for what we teach. And it's the church's responsibility to do that. And, and we do err from time to time. So I, I think I erred in the way I worded this last week. It said, therefore, the source of sinner's new birth is the work of the Spirit of God. And that's still the same. But I put on there, received by faith in the work of the Son of Man. And I know what I meant by that, but I think it may be a little bit misleading. And so I want to change it today to something more biblical, which is that, that, that work of the Son of Man, that faith in the work of the Son of Man is actually produced by the work of the Spirit. So it says this now. Therefore, the source of the sinner's new birth is the work of the Spirit of God, which produces faith in the work of the Son of Man. So if you would, get your little pencils and pens out and correct that in your bulletin, because I think that's more accurate Although I think what I was trying to say by receiving um, the new birth, I'll explain to you here in a little bit why I worded it that way, but I believe this will help clear things up. Today we're going to focus on the new birth being the work of the Spirit of God. The new birth is a spiritual truth, as we mentioned last week, that can only be spiritually discerned. Therefore, it can only be brought about by the Holy Spirit. Jesus has to help Nicodemus here understand that this is a spiritual reality. The poor man gets it confused. He thinks that he has to be re-enter his mother's womb. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He's basically saying, Nicodemus, this is a different type of birth. This is a new birth. You can't obtain it with your fleshly efforts. It must be birthed in you by the Spirit of God. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says water and the Spirit? Let's touch on that real quick before we get into the meat of the text today. What does he mean by water and the Spirit? Now, some people believe this refers to natural birth, the the water that comes along with natural birth, and then being born of the Spirit, being born again. 
Others believe that this is referring to baptism. Those who believe that usually believe that baptism has some sort of regenerating power in it. I don't believe it's either one of those two. I believe Jesus is simply referring to Ezekiel 36, verses 25 and following, which we read last week. Jesus says this in Ezekiel 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Jesus is telling Nicodemus that this new birth has nothing to do with what we can do in our flesh. It has everything to do with an ultimate type of cleansing and renewing work that the Spirit of God comes in and does. So the, the water and the Spirit here is referring to this cleansing work that the Holy Spirit does in a person who's been born again. But Nicodemus, who is obviously still confused, doesn't get this. He's having a hard time grasping this. And Jesus says, Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Don't, don't be surprised by that. You should know that. You're the teacher of Israel. You should know Ezekiel. So then he proceeds to give Nicodemus a metaphor to help him grasp how the Spirit works. And that's where we come to verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Verse 8 is huge in this passage. Jesus wants Nicodemus to understand how the Spirit works and how the new birth comes about, and he wants us to understand it as well. So let's see and savor what Jesus is teaching us here in this verse. And so my first point here in your uh, notes for today, I want you to see that by comparing the work of the Spirit to the wind, Jesus calls on us to submit to three glorious truths about the new birth. And here's the first one. Number one, the Spirit's work is sovereign and free. The Spirit's work is sovereign and free. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes. Where it wishes. Perhaps to help kids kind of grasp this idea of the wind blowing where it wishes. I used to do this in children's church with, with a balloon. I would take it and blow it up. And ask a kid, where do you want, I'm going to let this balloon go. Where do you want it to hit? Okay, so I ask one of the kids up front here, where do you want, me, where do you want this balloon to hit when I let go of it? You, and your, you want it to hit you? Okay, I'm going to try to, here we go. Wow, I'm surprised it even came back to me. No chance. I could try it again. Here we go. All right, I'm not getting it this time. All right, I can't control that. There's this, this powerful force, this air coming out of that balloon, and it's sending that balloon wherever it wants to go. Wherever it wants it to go. And, and I have no power over that. And so, so too, we think about the way the Holy Spirit works here in chapter 3, verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes. Wind is a powerful metaphor here for the Spirit of God. How many of you in here can control the wind? How many of you by your own might can conjure up the wind? How many of you could have stood on the shores of New Jersey and told that wind to hold back? 
None. It submits to no human being. It blows where it wishes. And this is a powerful statement of how the Holy Spirit works. And we have to remember, Jesus isn't just trying to... I mean, maybe there's a cool breeze blowing while he's talking to Nicodemus. But Jesus isn't a teacher who's just trying to figure out, oh, how can I illustrate this? Jesus created the world knowing that he was going to use these things to illustrate spiritual truths. Sheep were created to illustrate spiritual truths. Fire was created to illustrate spiritual truths. Wind was created to illustrate spiritual truths. Jesus isn't just picking a metaphor. He says, I want you to understand the wind blows the way it's blowing out here. That's telling you something. God is speaking to you through creation. That's how the Holy Spirit works. Now, we need to see the connection here between the word wind and the word spirit. Some of you may be aware that in the Greek and in the Hebrew, both Greek and Hebrew, the languages that we have our Bible written in, in both the Greek and the Hebrew, the word spirit and wind are the exact same word. They're the exact same word. Matter of fact, also the word breath is the same word. So spirit, wind, breath, it's the same word in Hebrew, it's the same word in Greek. How do you know which one it is when you go from, from chapter to chapter, verse to verse? Well, it's, it's determined by the context. So the connection here is more than just a clever illustration. Even the words are the same, spirit and wind. Jesus is using a very, very powerful illustration here, showing us that wind itself was very much created by God to help us understand how the Spirit works. And the Spirit blows where it wishes. The Spirit is free like the wind. It's unstoppable. It's untamable. The wind can be powerful and terrifying. It can knock over the buildings and knock over cranes. It can be powerful and terrifying. So can the Spirit of God. The wind can be gentle and refreshing and comforting. The wind does not stop or start by our willing. So too the Spirit blows as He sees fit. So, when it comes to the new birth, we cannot make the Spirit move or bring rebirth in people in any sort of way. We cannot manufacture the experience. We cannot stir it up. We cannot get someone to repeat a prayer and therefore ensure that the Spirit blew and that person was born again. We cannot conjure up the Holy Spirit some sort of way by raising our hands or even walking down an aisle to quote-unquote, receive Jesus. We cannot stir it up with good singing or just one more stanza of just as I am. The Spirit blows as He sees fit. The Spirit is free to bring anyone to the, soon, to the Son whom He wills. The Spirit is absolutely free. John six thirty seven says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. There is this freedom of God bringing people to the Son. Now, can and does the Spirit sometimes work through some of the previously mentioned things that we talked about? Yes. When someone does pray a prayer to receive Jesus Christ, if they are genuine in their heart and they're confessing their sin and they're falling before the Lord and begging Him to be their Savior, then absolutely. It's a genuine repentance and we see new birth come into their life. But the Holy Spirit is not beholden to our wills. And this is very hard 
for American churches to accept. We're born out of a culture of revivalism and individualism. We must be careful. I'm afraid our well-intended eagerness to see people born again. So we're going to do stuff to make sure people are getting born again. Our eagerness to see people born again, we often end up making false converts in the church. Encouraging people to do something when the Holy Spirit's not even really doing anything on his own. He's not blowing. John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. This is seen very clearly in Acts. When Paul enters Philippi, you may remember in Acts chapter 16, Paul enters into Philippi. He meets a woman named Lydia. He begins to preach the gospel to her. She hears the gospel. And then we read in Acts 16, verse 14, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart. The Lord did it. And then she was baptized. This should cause great humility in us. It should keep us from a false dependence upon methods, upon systems, upon events, or upon programs. It should make us a people of more passionate and urgent prayer. If only the Holy Spirit can cause a person to be born again, if he's totally free, as the Scripture says, is he sovereign and free? Well, then we need to be begging him to save people, to do a work in people's hearts. We should be people of more prayer, not less. If you truly understand the sovereignty of God over salvation, it doesn't make you a, well, I'll just sit around and do nothing. I guess I can't do anything. No, you're a person who gets on your knees and prays for God to move because you know, I can't do it. I can't manipulate someone into praying a prayer and becoming a Christian. They won't be born again that way. That's just false. Only the Holy Spirit can blow into their life and cause them to be born again. And he's totally free over that process. Therefore, I get on my knees and pray. That's how it has to work in the church. We become people of more prayer and more humility. Instead of pridefully thinking we can conjure up things. I think it's kind of silly. Now, I know what people mean by it. But, but how can you schedule a revival? Really? You see on a marquee, revival. Sunday starts at 7 o'clock. Ends Saturday. When it, how you're telling me the Holy Spirit, revival means born again. You're revived. You're telling me you're going to schedule the Holy Spirit's work? I don't mind getting together for long periods of time of prayer and worship. Let's make that happen. But you know what? Let's don't call it a revival. Let's let the Holy Spirit blow in however he sees fit. And if he revives a church, revives a community, revives a nation, he gets all the glory. We get none. It should cause humility in us. It should also produce much thanksgiving in us. When you see someone saved, a child, a family member, you don't go and pat them on the back and say, you did a great job. Or pat yourself on the back and say, oh man, I just really led them in that. That was just a perfect prayer I led them in. No. You give thanks to the only place thanks goes, and that's God. Because you know in your heart you didn't do nothing, and they didn't do nothing. God did it. God's the one who brings about salvation. It should drive us to, to a desire to see fruit in our lives and in the lives of others in the body. It should drive us to, to be faithful preachers and sharers of the gospel. Because it's the Spirit's instrument to bring new life into people. And we'll talk about that some more later. You see, there are many who have had some sort of born-again experience that was much different, wasn't, wasn't much different than simply a clever salesman closing a sales deal. 
You know, I, I'm pretty confident in my speaking abilities that I can sell you on something. One-on-one. Come on, I'll sell you on the gospel. And I think a lot of people are having experience of born again, but they simply got sold something. The Holy Spirit never really worked. It wasn't real. And it lacks the fruit that proves that it was real. You see, truly born again people have been given a new life. And they can't help but live new lifestyles. Truly born again people, there, is a, there are discernible effects that come. And that's my next point. Number two, the Spirit's work produces discernible effects. Discernible effects. We continue in verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes. And what does it say next? And you hear its sound. And you hear its sound. Sometimes my kids, during various stages of their life, and even imitate now, sometimes will get scared at night because she's afraid a storm is coming or it's going to rain or something. And I say, well, it's not raining out there. And she's like, wait, listen, shh, can you hear it? And you get quiet, you listen, you hear the wind blowing out there. And it causes anxiety in her because she's afraid a storm is coming. Because she hears it. She doesn't have to go out and feel it. She doesn't have to go out and look at it. She can simply hear it and knows because she hears it that the wind is blowing. So too, when the Holy Spirit in a very real way and genuine way actually gets into a person's heart and causes rebirth, you will know it. There will be discernible effects. New birth produces fruit. Jesus speaks a lot about Christians' faith being evidenced by fruit. The old dead bramble has been made alive into a living vine, so new life produces fruit. And the first fruit that new life produces, the very first fruit that new life produces, is faith. Faith or belief. The fruit of genuine belief. This is the answer to chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Jesus didn't entrust himself to these people because they had a false faith. The only type of faith or belief that Jesus will entrust himself to for someone is a type of faith that comes from or comes as a result of the new birth. Faith. Faith is our role in all of this. Our role is to believe. We must believe in order to be saved. And we are saved when we believe. Believe in Jesus as the Christ. Believe in the gospel message. Our faith, our belief, is simultaneous with the new birth. Our role is believing the gospel. The Spirit's role is begetting life. He does the one and we do the other at the same instant. But His doing is the decisive cause of our doing. Let me say that again. His doing of new birth is the decisive cause of our doing belief. I believe that many in our evangelical culture have lost sight of this. We say something like this. If you believe in the Lord Jesus, then you'll be born again. But Scripture in not one single place speaks that way. Not one single place. Instead, it says things like this in 1 John 5, 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. 
Everyone who believes has been, past tense, born of God. Belief is necessary to be saved. A true, willful response to the gospel in repentance and belief must happen. But the scriptures are so clear in regards to the new birth that faith is the very first fruit of new birth and not vice versa. Not vice versa. Now I hope to discuss this some more next week and dig into this a little bit more next week. But I want to point out to you, this is what we have, this is, this is orthodox Christianity. Today what we have is this man-centered twisting of Scripture that says, no, you believe and then you get born again. That's not what the Scriptures teach. And that's not what Baptists believe. Let me read to you the Baptist faith and message, Article 4, Paragraph A. It says, regeneration, or the new birth, is a work of God's grace whereby believers become new creatures in Christ Jesus. It is a change of the heart wrought by the Holy Spirit through conviction of sin to which the sinner responds in repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our, doctrine of, that is our doctrinal statement. If you're here at Harbin's, you've agreed to that doctrinal statement. It says, let me say it again. It is a change of the heart wrought by the Holy Spirit through the conviction of sin to which the sinner responds in repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Baptists, we have always believed that our faith follows regeneration. But we live in a culture that doesn't like that because we like it to be more about us. We are in a man-centered culture that wants it to be about us. God is absolutely just in not saving a single soul on this planet. But we call it unjust because God doesn't do the things way we want them done. And we have this feeling of injustice in our heart. There's no injustice with God. It's our man-centeredness. It's our desire for us to be in control. We want to pinch the balloon and walk it where we want to walk it. That's our temptation. But we have to go with what the scriptures say. This is a necessary truth. If we are truly dead in our sins. This is a necessary truth if we are truly dead in our sins. But for us, from our perspective, our belief does happen instantaneously. Okay? We are, we are told instantaneously with the new birth. We are told to call upon the, the Lord and be saved. And we do. We don't go around and say, be born again so that you can be saved. That's not what we preach. Be born again so you can be saved. That's not what I preach. I Go out and I preach, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Believe and be saved. That's how we preach. But we know that if a person responds to that gospel call, it is not because they're so great. It's because the Holy Spirit has worked to make them believe. So God gets all the glory. God gets all the credit. So believe Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. It is not our job to do the work of the wind. We simply preach the gospel and call on all people to believe. And if they do genuinely believe, then we know that the Spirit of God has blown. And we praise God for it. And again, this should produce humility and thankfulness and joy in our evangelistic efforts. Now we'll talk more about this next week, Lord willing. I want to go to the second fruit of belief. So we've got the fruit of, I mean, the second fruit of being born again. So we've got the fruit of belief. 
But we also have the fruit of new behaviors. There's the fruit of genuine belief, which is instantaneous with the new birth. But then there is the fruit of new behaviors, new way of living, new lifestyle. Remember, Jesus said there's a cleansing involved. You're, you're, you're born of water in the Spirit. There's this cleansing. Titus 3.3 3 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Lord. New actions, a new lifestyle naturally follows new birth. A cleansing has occurred. And now the person lives differently. We don't live differently in order to become born again. We live differently once we have been born again. 1 John 2, 29 says this. You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. I love these past tenses. Has been born of him. 1 John 3, 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Let me pause right there. doesn't say if you're born of God, you're perfect. It says no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. He has been born of God. 1 John 5, 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. And that's just to name a few passages from 1 John. It's all over the scriptures. That new birth should be accompanied by new actions, a new lifestyle. A born-again person has been cleansed and thus has a lifestyle of progressive holiness, overcoming sin more and more and more as he or she matures in Jesus Christ. This is not sinless perfection, but it's a pattern of fighting sin and overcoming it. It's a progression, becoming more like Christ. We should see the leaves on your tree moving. We should see evidence. We should hear the whistling of the wind through your branches. We should see evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work. If there's no evidence, there may not be new birth. Because the Holy Spirit, according to Scripture, according to Scripture, not me, don't, don't, I'm not sitting here trying to impose a lifestyle upon you. What I'm saying is, if you've been born again according to the Bible, then you will live differently than the world. Therefore, heed the word of God, friends. Anyone in here who claims to be a Christian and believes you've been born again, including myself, should take heed what the Scripture says. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves to see whether or not you are in the faith. Examine yourselves to see whether or not you are in the faith. Galatians 6, 4. Let each one of you test his own work. 2 Peter 1, 10. Brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Test. Confirm. Be diligent. The fruit of genuine belief and the fruit of new behaviors should be seen. I said earlier, we, we, we try to manufacture new birth in our churches like it's a product. Raise your hand and repeat this prayer after me. And you will be born again. 
how arrogant that statement is. We try to manufacture it. Is it no wonder that we have so many people sitting in the pews of the churches of America today that live no differently than the world? How can they? They're not born again. The Spirit never blew. They were never truly saved. So they can't help but live like the world. Then we get upset. Pastors get upset. Well, so-and-so's doing this and -and so-and-so's doing that and they're acting this way. And we get upset. Well, how come they're doing that? Well, it may just be they're not truly saved. There's no wind blowing and there's no evidence that the wind ever blew in the first place. We should all be asking ourselves these questions that Paul tells us to ask ourselves and Peter about confirming our election, confirming our calling, examining our faith. Some of you maybe still be struggling with this idea that the new birth is totally the work of God. And our faith and actions are dependent upon it happening. That's okay. It's okay to struggle with that. I want you to wrestle with that. I want you to find any scripture you can find that disagrees with that. I don't think you'll find one. But it's okay to wrestle with God's word and wrestle with these deep mysteries. That new birth is a mystery. And so that's my last point. The Spirit's work is powerful and mysterious. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. How exactly the Spirit works when and why he chooses to work the way he does is, is largely a mystery to us. For some, like a powerful rushing wind, the new birth comes. That very moment is frozen in their mind. They know the moment that they were born again. But for others, the new birth is like a gentle, consistent breeze. The new birth that came at some point in their life, but they can't put their finger on the exact date. Of the exact time. And that's okay. For both, it's the Spirit of God working as freely as He chooses to work. C.S. Lewis, regarding his own new birth, wrote this. He said, I know very well when, but hardly know how the final step was taken. I was driving to Whipsnade on Sunday morning. We set out, when, when we set out, I did not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And when we reached the zoo, I did. Yet I had not exactly spent time on the journey in thought, nor in great emotion. C.S. Lewis refers to his born-again experience as this just mysterious thing that happened on a car ride because the Holy Spirit's free. The Spirit of God works in mysterious ways. For some, they're born again the very first time they hear the gospel. Others hear the gospel over and over and over and over again, year after year after year after year, before the Spirit chooses to bring new life. C.H. Spurgeon said, God's Spirit calls men to Jesus in diverse ways. Some are drawn so gently that they scarce know when the drawing began. Others are so suddenly affected that their conversion stands out with noonday clearness. It is God's work. It's free. It's mysterious. How and why God chooses to move the way He does And why His Spirit chooses to move on some who hear the exact same gospel message that others don't hear is His prerogative. Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. 
For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. We need to be careful not to interpret the purpose of God the way we want it to be. God will accomplish his purposes and his timing. There's much mystery, but there's something we know for sure as well. There's something we know for sure, and I'm going to close with this, that God's word is the instrument that the Spirit uses to accomplish this mysterious work. We see it here in Isaiah, don't we? New birth is always, always happens in conjunction with the gospel word going forth. The gospel seed may sit there for a while, for years even, before it sprouts. But it has to be planted. If there's no gospel message, there's no new life. We preach, we teach, we share the gospel, knowing that the Spirit of God works when the Word of God goes forth, and the Word does not come back void or empty. The Spirit of God is the agent of new birth, and the Word of God is His instrument. So if we think of the new birth like a doctor, because the Holy Spirit is bringing forth new children into the world... And just as a doctor might use some instruments and, and other, other things to help him make that happen, so too the Holy Spirit's one instrument is the gospel message, the Word of God. That's his instrument to bring forth new life into the world, to bring new life into dead, spiritually rebellious hearts. James 1.18 says, Of his own will, of his own will, he brought us forth. That's birthing language. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. He brought us forth by the word of truth. First Peter 1 says, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The good news, the gospel, the word of God is what brings forth new life. Remember how I said spirit and wind are the same word? Well, so is the word breath. And what is the scriptures oftentimes referred to? It's breathed out by God. It's breathed out by God. And the breath of God makes it bring new life into stony hearts. Perhaps the most amazing picture of this isn't in the New Testament. We're going to close with a passage from the Old Testament. You can turn there if you want to. It's a, about 10 verses from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37. And this may be the, the most beautiful and amazing and startling picture of new birth in all the Bible. Now, let me remind you, Ezekiel 36 is where we read from earlier, where Ezekiel prophesies there will be a day there will be a day when the Holy Spirit moves in such a way that he cleanses you, puts his spirit within you, him doing all the work, and causes you to have new life. He takes that stony heart away and gives you the heart of flesh. And so Ezekiel's continuing to prophesy about that. And the Lord takes him and gives him a vision. Ezekiel 37 verse 1 says, Now the hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out, to the, out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. 
And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. Let me pause right there. These weren't just dry bones. These were very dry bones. These aren't just dead people. These are dead, dead people. Very dry bones. This is a picture of new birth, friends. You're not just dry bones if you're not in Christ. You are very dry bones. Verse 3. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I love Ezekiel's answer. And I answered him, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy. Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. That's the new birth. The word of God, used by a sovereign and free spirit of God to breathe new life into dead sinners, dead, dead sinners, and transform them into new creations. And transform us, the church of God, the people of God, into an army of the living God. And the gates of hell will not prevail. Oh church, let us be a people of the gospel, of the word of God. Here in our church, in our homes, in our lives. It is God's means for new birth. It is God's means for continuing sanctification in Christ. The Spirit is the agent working these things out, but His instrument is the Word, specifically the Gospel Word. We can spend our time trying to unravel the deep mysteries of the new birth, but that won't save anyone. Instead, we must do as Jesus does. Poor Nicodemus here, he doesn't get it. His mind's blown. He says, how can these things be? And Jesus responds, with the Gospel. Verses 13, 14, and 15. Specifically, I'll start with verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Believe, Nicodemus. Believe this gospel word that the Son of Man is going to have to be lifted up like a serpent. And Nicodemus, you know why that serpent was lifted up. You know it, Nicodemus. You're a teacher of Israel. You know there was a curse upon the people because of their sin. And unless they looked to that snake on that pole, they would be dead forever. And so you know, Nicodemus, what I'm talking about here. So look to the Son of Man. Look at me, Nicodemus, and believe, and you will be saved. That's how this new birth happens, my friend. Look to Jesus. And so next week, 
That was just a preview of next week. I'm going to focus on those verses. 13, 14, 15. And then we're going to go into the rest of John. Chapter 3. Believe the gospel word. Put your faith in Jesus. So friends, this week, meditate upon these words. Meditate on John 3, 13, 14, 15. Meditate upon them. Think about them. Go back to Numbers 21 and meditate upon that passage. Prepare yourself for the gospel message next week. But for this morning, as we close, I simply ask you, do you believe? Do you believe in the Son of Man? My friends, if you're here and you're not a Christian, then you're dead dead. You dry bones. Why are you dry bones? Because all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you have no shot at heaven. You have no shot at the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, Jesus says the opposite of the kingdom of God is to be cast out into darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what remains for those who have not put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, I beg you, please, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And if you'll put all your hope, all your weight, all your trust in him, you're not just buying fire insurance. You're not just trying to fix your marriage or fix your life so that you can do things better the way you want to do them. You're saying, Jesus, every part of me is yours. I'm casting all my weight upon you in faith and in hope. And I'm putting all my trust in you. I'm repenting of my sin. Yes, I am dry, dry bones because I'm a sinner. You come to him with that heart. You're born again. So every head bowed and every eye closed now. As we finish today with a word of prayer and one closing song. Holy Spirit, Lord, forgive my inadequacies as I preach this morning. Lord, I know that there are some truths about the new birth, particularly as how it relates to our faith, that we bristle against, that we don't like. We don't like to think that we're out of control. We like to think that we have some sort of control in the matter. That we have some sort of, some sort of bragging rights. Oh, but God, your word is so clear that unless your spirit revives dead bones, there's no life. There's no faith. There's no trust. There's no being part of the kingdom of God. There's no great army that we're part of. But God, I also don't want to leave anyone feeling here this morning that their faith isn't real. It is a real decision. As we plead for people to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus, that's a real decision that people have to make. That is a real act of the will to believe in the Lord Jesus. And so God, I pray that there be anybody here who can't do that because of a stony and hard heart, that your spirit would blow in this place and revive dry bones, cause new life, And that even this morning that some would come for the very first time and believe in the Son of Man. Look to that cross where Jesus has become a curse on our behalf to absorb your wrath, Father. And then to exchange wrath for holiness, to give us his righteousness so that we could be heirs, we could be adopted, we could be children of God. Forgive us, Lord, of our man-centeredness. Forgive us of our hardness of heart and our disbelief. And move as you see fit here this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.